Hello and welcome to the Decap Recap. My name is Lukey. For the last two years, I've been shadowboxing in the moonlight. That's a real fact. I'm good at it, I'd say. Well, it's that time of the year again where Batman films are floating about. And I need someone to talk Batman shop with who knows what they're talking about. So, I'm here with Joe. Hello. Joe, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me on again. Beautiful. Glad you can be here. Uh... It's a situation where, you know, all's been dandy for the last two years, I'd say. Has it mm. not? It's been okay, I would say. At best, it's been all right. <laughs> and as we return to the new normal, we all know we have to bash some sort of Batman movie because that's what everyone does in the modern world. However, I would argue this is a good Batman film. What do you think? I think so. Well, see, I think it's funny that, that you mentioned that you should have, like, a Batman expert on a, on a Batman podcast because that's... <laughs> Not me. Like, I'm, I, I like Batman a lot. I wouldn't consider myself, like, a Batman fan or even, like, a superhero guy in general, but... Hey, wait a minute. <laughs> I do really like this current Batman movie uh, quite a bit, and I feel like I have a pretty general understanding of what I like about the character. And okay. things that I appreciate about this movie that kind of go hand-in-hand hand with what my expectations of who Batman is. And, and what he should be doing in a, in a film adaptation. So, yes, I know enough well, about Batman to, to talk about what I like. That's, that's all that's necessary. Because as we all know, if you have an opinion, everyone else is wrong, except mm-hmm. for you. Yeah, only mine is valid, so. <laughs> I wouldn't say any opinion I have on this new movie are, is, yeah, I wouldn't say any of my opinions on it are controversial. Because it sounds like a lot of people like it. But it's, I'll say it's not my favorite. It's not like, you know, this is the pinnacle of Batman, but it is a good film. And hear me out. The entirety of the film, how it was put together, seems like they just made a modern day adaptation of like a film noir, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because everything about it, from how it is shot to the idea that it's actually about a mystery, right? Batman's not just, you know, beating up random people in the streets. Well, he does a little bit of that here and there at the start. Uh, but he immediately has to, like, start thinking outside of the box. hmm And then the only other thing that they seem to, like, throw in there as, like, a little bit of a tidbit is you have, like, the modern-day America. Like, 1950s style of filming a noir with just modern-day technology and modern-day uh, political uh, talks. Because there, there is a point in the film where it gets political, more so towards the end. Mm-hmm. Um, and we can get to that later. But uh, I just want, like, your thoughts. Like, what do you think... Uh, the film, what do you like, what do you dislike, uh, what makes it good, you know? So, I, so since this movie came out, I've actually, I've been on sort of a Batman kick, and I've been going through all of the movies and catching up on the ones that I haven't seen, which is, um, oh, okay. Which, there's actually a few more than I thought that there were. Um, like there's I just, a lot. I just recently watched the Michael Keaton Batman for the first time uh, earlier this <laughs> week, but um, I would say, nice. I, I, I think this newest one, The Batman, I think might be my favorite of the whole bunch, just for all the reasons that you said. It's it's. I think it understands the current state of the source material best, which is, yeah, it's not so much... I feel like uh, the majority of the Batman movies before this have been action movies mm-hmm. um, or, or action thrillers, and this was definitely, yeah, it was first and foremost, it was like a mystery, it was a detective story, it was, you know, uh, it was certainly creepier, than other Batman adaptations that I've seen before. Oh, there, there's some definite creepy elements. Um, 
I wasn't exactly prepared for. Like when I first saw the Riddler, for example, just like you know, in the, in the trailers, I thought, mm-hmm. oh, he, he looks kind of ridiculous. He's got like this Zodiac killer vibe going on. And I wasn't sure if that was going to translate well in film, right? Because, like, you know, a lot of people who grew up with Batman are zealots about, you know, does it look accurate to the comic books? Is it going to be as fun as the comics? Is it going to be as crazy as, like, what people think Batman is? And this this works. Like, I don't know if it works for everybody, but it definitely worked for me. Uh, the Riddler is probably one of my favorite, because it's, it's still the Riddler, right? Where he's yeah. still doing his thing. He wants to challenge people on a academic level as far as like what they know and how they know it or an intellectual level but he's got these different parts of him they've thrown in where it's like he's modernized he has this more uh like his insanity or psychosis is more tracking with like modern day psychology i feel like and Mm -hmm. modern day issues right like if someone that unstable has access to modern day technology and just streaming abilities what do they do um having said that (laughs) uh there's a lot of villainy in this story like the riddler is only like a a factor of it they kind of made they emphasize the idea that gotham itself is this corrupt beast that everyone is trying to like either control or beat yeah well that was like you know one of my concerns when when it was when they said that the film a few months before it came out was had a three-hour runtime i was like jesus Mm. christ i was like oh my god like that's i i I can't stomach three-hour movies anymore and then I saw it, and I was like, okay, that deserved to be three hours, because it has to juggle all of these different characters and, like, uh, elements that, uh, from the comics that are at, actively at play in the movie, and it, I, I thought it did a pretty good job of balancing it all, and I thought everything kind of had a really, like, you know, everything got its, its little piece of the spotlight, and it all felt very homogenized and part of the world that they built in this version of Gotham and stuff like that. And so, yeah, I thought having the Riddler be the main villain of the film was, was really cool because, you know, rather than having like big important Mm. beats of the story be like action scenes, it was like all these like important beats and revelations were like actively problem solving these, these riddles and these crimes and stuff like that, which, you know, kept it as a mystery first and foremost. And, and it, it works. Like, I think the best Batman is, at best, Batman is a detective. And seeing him have to do real detective work is refreshing, mm-hmm. right? Like, he, it's not just, like, some crazy esoteric fact that only Batman would know. It's the idea that he has to, like, figure things out with, you know, the thumb drive, with the first yeah. murder. <laughs> All of that is hilarious. And it, but it's just how they put it together where it's, you know, like, it's like a ten-minute scene of him just figuring out, like, what the Riddler first did. Right. And you actually have to be invested in all the visual cues, you know, like they pick up on, um, he picks up on Catwoman's do- uh, body language when he first sees her. He, I, the idea that he just like walks around as Batman, like the same way Judge Dredd would just walk around with the helmet. Yeah, I mean, that's what I loved about the direction given to Robert Pattinson in this movie and stuff like that was like so much of, of you could tell what Batman was thinking. Like, the majority of the time, he'd, like, slowly walk around these crime scenes, and he wouldn't even have to, like, say anything. You could just see it in his eyes, like, what he was thinking and the information he was absorbing. And and uh, yep. I thought the performance was really great. Like, he wasn't ever, like, punching his way out of problems in this movie. I, I was really time, appreciative of that. I agree. Well, like, there's... Because he has to be smart. He has to be strategic. Most of the situation is just him, like, running away and, like, barely getting away. Yeah. You know, like... 
if a real person had to like outrun, you know, the entire police precinct of a, a city, what would that look like? And like, oh yeah, he's just a dude. He's got cardio. He's wearing like fifty pounds of gear that's bulletproof. Mm-hmm. Like, and every time he did get into a, a fight, like any time he did get into like the whole fisticuff scenes, my favorite aspect of how they showed that because it's all showman, not like too much on telling. Not until like the third act is it more expositiony, but we'll get to that later. The uh, the beginning fight scenes. You have these wide shots, right, where he's fighting either goons or he's brawling with the police for a split second, and you show these wide. They show these wide shots of he's just a guy, right, surrounded mm-hmm. by thirty other guys, and that's kind of frightening to think about. You know, yeah, like, he's he's on the defensive all the time. Like he's not this thing that can just you know he's not a monster that can just beat up fifty people like in the Zack Snyder run. He's just a dude, and he's got to like think this through. Mm-hmm. Well, that's what, yeah, it was like, you know, um, any other Batman film, you know, if there was a scene where he had to escape the police precinct, they would have just had him, like, disappear into the shadows, and everybody would have been like, oh, where'd he go? He's the Batman. He's, He's like, magical. But this movie, in, like, every single action scene, was, was, like, sprinkled with these moments of, like, this is year two Batman, who's not exactly perfect at what he's doing, and there were, like, a couple times in all these, like, action scenes where it was like, he would eat shit. Or, like, yep. almost, like, just barely get out of it alive. And it was, like, I was, you know, that was really happy to see that, you know, kind of, because my ideal version of Batman is a dude who is just as psychotic as his rogues gallery. Like, yes. Batman is, Batman is a crazy person. Like, <laughs> if you invest in a Lamborghini slash tank with what is basically a jet engine attached to a, the frame of a car... And you're going to use that to fight crime? Yeah. You're crazy. You're on oh. some level of crazy. In my, yeah, in my head, the idea that Batman would become Batman is like a ludicrous idea. He's like waging this war inside of himself where he's not actually going to solve society's problems by going out at night and beating up criminals. It's such a ludicrous idea. And I thought this, I, you know, this movie did a really good job of like kind of explaining that without actually saying it. They just showed it he's he's psychotic <laughs> yeah he, he's he's psychotic he's he he wants in the very beginning he, he's go he's giving you his internal monologue where he's just like everyone fears the shadows now because they think i'm there right yeah and like he basically defines himself as judge dread right he's not killing people but he's just like i am the law type of situation mm-hmm. and you see like the, like they visually show like the mass amounts of poverty the overexpending things uh, instead of having like blimps right uh, mm-hmm. policing the, the streets, it's helicopters. But if you're using helicopters to catch graffiti artists, you're wasting thousands of dollars for, right. for the taxpayers. Like, right. Well, th- it, this it, was also my favorite portrayal of Gotham, too. I mean, like, the, just mm-hmm. the imagery was so... It was so, like, such a s- strong vision of this fictional city that I've seen so many times over, but it was, like, new and fresh here. Like, they right. just... They art-directed the shit out of it. It was really oh. vivid and so well realized. It's been a while since I've seen a movie that takes architecture into uh, into account and how like architecture for a movie can be its own character. Yeah. Um, prominent examples of that working really well is like the first Alien movie, where mm-hmm. it's this claustrophobic. You know, there's wires and alien technology all around you, so it's it's very like I don't know where I go, where to go. I'm lost. Like. The character is the only ones that can escape this environment. I couldn't, so it's terrifying. Blade Runner also takes into account like just the the idea of how you can feel crushed by a city that is so massive. 
Yeah, it and was then, like it was like Akira, like these just these ta- like this towering megalopolis that felt really lived in and and uh, just just vivid. And everyone, and it, no, it's not like it's a Gotham that's still riddled with the idea of just like corruption, but it hasn't gone crazy yet. Like they explain how there's still a mafia presence. Like he hasn't defeated the crime lords yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know his rogues gallery hasn't popped up yet, and when the Riddler shows up, right, everyone, everyone's trying to solve the murder, but they're not worried about what the murder was for, right? Like, Mayor is dead, and everyone's just like, okay, Mayor's dead, let's figure out, we'll figure out what's going on here, but people aren't panicking yet, like, there's a psycho killer loose, not until yeah. the second murder. Because it's just business as usual for a shithole like Gotham City. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <Right? laughs> and just, just the idea that he's like, he's working with the police, right? Like, he's walking around as Batman. He goes to the club as Batman. Like, yeah. he sees himself as a cop, basically. Like, he's mm-hmm. his own private detective. Um, which is interesting, because then they like, they do show, like, more of his uh, insanity through that, right? Like, he's now recording his own um, uh, night raids just to yeah, figure out was, if he missed anything. That was cool. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll say this much as it... Uh, is it what's his name? Um, the guy who plays... Uh, uh, Batman is Peterson, something Peterson. Ah. Oh, Robert Pattinson? Oh, Robert Pattinson. I can't, I, he's, he's got a name that's both memorable, yet somehow I keep on forgetting it. Like, I keep yeah. on hearing it, and then I drop it. But I digress. His, uh, his role as Batman, he's not my favorite Batman, but he works. He works for this where he's, you know, he's young, he's new at what he's doing. He's clearly in, like, the at the deep end of his depravity, right? Where he's just mm. like, oh, this is all I do. Like, you know, he's just Batman. Bruce Wayne is a side project that he'll eventually come back to. Yeah. And he's obsessed with the idea of upholding his parents' uh, uh, um, image. You know, like he, in, in every Batman story, his parents are treated almost like, uh, as like worship, as like gods in his mind. Like they've done no wrong. They were the heart of the city. And without them, the city's heartless. Mm-hmm. And then he starts to realize, oh, they're human beings. Like it's, it's the first time they've actually critiqued Thomas Wayne and yeah, flawed. I wasn't expecting them to actually kind of criticize the fact that Batman comes from money. I feel yeah. like most Batman stories kind of avoid that. But here they like actively were like like they're like, Bruce, why are you doing this? You have no problems. Like you're not a, you're not a quote unquote orphan like some of the other characters in this movie are. You're like a rich megalomaniac. And uh, I, I thought Robert Pattinson was like easily the the best part of this movie uh, in terms of performances. I, I see a lot of people criticize the, hmm. you know, a lot of people have said that there's not really a separation between how he plays Bruce Wayne and Batman. Um, right. But I kind of, yeah, well, I kind of like appreciated that because it's like year two Batman and he's like, he can't, he can't, he can't, he's not capable of living this dual life yet because this whole like crusade he's on is like destroying himself. Right, he's he's in a, a toxic zone of self-destruction where he, you know, he, he wants to, like, basically just die in a blaze of glory, and he's not worried about uh, uh, his legacy. He's just like, I will just do this until it yeah. kills me. Because mm-hmm. he hasn't, because he's just like, he even says at the beginning, like, the reason why he doesn't say, I'm Batman in this movie is because he says at the very beginning, I'm vengeance. Like, I'm just here, an eye for an eye type of deal. I'm going to get back at the city that took my parents. Like, that's his whole spiel at the beginning. And then he has to, he realizes he has to grow if he wants to actually do any good. Like, at the very beginning, his complaint is, I've, like, I haven't had an impact, right? Like, is this really working? Am I doing anything? 
you know, he's beating up poor people for sure, but he's not like showing any sort of effect. Uh, and that's interesting that they then dive more into that, especially with uh, Zoe Kravitz's character as Catwoman. Because mm-hmm. uh, she's like literally, she's just like more of an anarchist in this movie in the sense where she's still doing the whole Catwoman kleptomaniac, I'm going to steal from the rich type of deal. But she's also doing it where she's just like, dude, this is the only way to make money in Gotham. Like, yeah, well, that's that's what I liked about like Batman's rapport with all these other characters in this because he's you know he's meeting Catwoman and the Riddler and is like all these people who are just as psychotic as he is who also have these weird like alter egos but they have like actual problems and like real reasons for doing what they do and so I think mm-hmm. the arc in this movie was Batman kind of sort of like figuring out the true reason for why he feels like he has to do this. Um, but just on a personal level, I, it felt like a very introspective kind of getting into the head of Batman kind of movie. And it helped that like for the vast majority of the movie, Robert Pattinson was in the Batman suit. Like Bruce Wayne was secondary to Batman as a character. Because in his mind, like Bruce Wayne doesn't solve anything. Like in, 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 uh, at that moment, moment in time, it's all about Batman. It's all about you know, if you be this boogeyman, if you be the monster, you can uh, control the monster. If you're yeah. just this, you know, like because he, he as Bruce Wayne, he only knows how to be powerless, which is to be that little kid in the alleyway who can't do anything. Mm-hmm. So he wants to be the shadows. He wants to be the thing that he fears because you know that will give him strength. Uh, but then he has to. Then he realizes it's not enough just to look into the abyss because the abyss looks back at you. And that's where the Riddler really comes into play because he, he keeps on throwing these like little hints at him where he's, you know, it's like the Zodiac Killer where he's egging people on with these clues like you think you know what's happening, but you don't know anything like you don't yeah. know what's going to happen next. And it's and his character is interesting because, you know, for a while, the Riddler is kind of dumb. It's like, why would you commit a crime and then lay down a riddle that then tells people where your next crime is? But for him, it's like a cry for help. He literally said, like, you know, I'm, I go insane in this city unless I have something to solve. So he right. just starts, you know, creating riddles, solving riddles. Like, he's uh, he's crazy for it. Because without that, without that pillar, he falls apart. And you see that towards the end, right? Where he's just, like, because he's, he's, he's not rememberable. He's, like, this, uh, he's the everyday person impoverished in the city, right? He's forgettable. Mm-hmm. But he doesn't want to be forgettable because everyone has an identity and everybody wants to be, you know, felt to be known or important and that goes to its toxic extreme and that's that's what felt really real about this version of the riddler was i really liked the reinterpretation that he would be this kind of like incel psycho 4chan user who has like this who's got this weird cult online following and stuff like that and the idea that like he wasn't out to get batman but really he had this like sick appreciation for what he was doing and thought he had this parasocial relationship with this like celebrity vigilante that he thought he that he thought he could relate to yeah and then at the end his and what's funny about this movie is that the riddler succeeds like his his plan works but it it fails and that batman is not the person that he thought he was right that like the riddler thought oh like i can i can find a buddy because in many ways batman ends up helping the riddler uh especially with his targets right and yeah. moving forward with his plan because he, you know, he, he, he brings people into a position where the Riddler now has access to them. Mm-hmm. Um, un, unwittingly, obviously. Like, he doesn't want uh, to help the Riddler, but then he, he starts to realize, oh, there's corruption in Gotham. 
like right. from the the top down, everything is uh, uh, there's you know shadow uh, money being lended and stuff like that. And the Riddler is just like yeah, the incel 4chan user who discovered it all. Um, I'll say this much: like it, with how they use social media, it's very quick, but definitely like makes sense for the times. Uh, one of my friends had a good criticism though. He said that. Uh, with the 4chan users and the cult that, like, the Riddler makes online, um, they should have had more than just regular-ass rifles. Like, we're talking about people who, on social media, once figured out how to find um, uh, Shia LaBeouf's flag yeah. uh, that, that he put out in the middle of nowhere because they started using star charts and sending people to, the like, the locations of where they generally thought it was, honking mm-hmm. a horn just to find if, they, if their uh, horn would show up in the, uh, the video the audio of the video, and they eventually found and took down Shia LaBeouf's flag. My point is, 4chan is a crazy amount of people who will spend hour after hour just doing pro bono investigative work and mm-hmm. solve the impossible. So those guys should have had, like, apocalyptic tech or something like that. <laughs> well, I, I like that they kept it small. It kept it kind of realistic. Like, there was a scene kind of towards the end of the movie when they when they find the Riddler's apartment and they have the, the, the uh, tech guy on the forensics team is like, found his profile online he's got like 500 followers and, it, and like i'm thinking in the theater i'm like that's not that many and then right. i'm like well it it's a decent amount for somebody who's like a psycho anarchist extremist so it was yeah. like i like that they kept it small and that they kept it realistic and kind of it wasn't like a world-ending scenario it was just sort of like this kind of like socially charged um murderous bout of lashing out at society from like a real creep and loser (laughs) oh yeah and it's just and it's a situation where if you have someone who's that detached from reality but they still have all this they have this platform they have these people who can all organize online and give him information you realize oh he can make bombs he can plan a small elite death squad of people who you know are loyal to his cause and how that just like and how that just starts to dive into creating this uh this small like domestic terrorist group <laughs> that essentially just exists just to fuck shit up like yeah past that their whole plan is just like oh you know topple down the society by just keep on killing the heads of the snake yeah like that's the whole thing right and that i think really does i'm glad they showed that because towards the end that's what was one of the things that helps change batman Right, because he realizes one of the Riddlers um, said when he's asked like, "Who are you?" by the police, he says, "I am vengeance," and that's the oh shit moment for Batman, where he realizes, "Wait a minute, I sound like these guys. Like these guys are on the same energy as me. I haven't fully become them yet, but like you know, he's going out in the middle of the night and beating up poor people. Like he's this close from just becoming his own sort of uh, uh, fascist dictator." But then he turns it around, right? Like he, the, the coolest thing for me is the end where he just starts saving people, right? He's working alongside yeah. the first responders. Yeah. I mean, that's what I loved. I mean, like, um, you know, every, everybody, you know, loves their, their dark and gritty Batman film, you know? And, mm-hmm. and that's what, I mean, for the most part, that's what this was. It wasn't completely humorless, which I really <laughs> appreciated. I thought it was a funny, it was an appropriately funny movie. But it really does, it wallows in this, like, gravely serious grim tone for like 2.9 hours of its runtime and then in the last like 10 minutes it like deservedly it like pulls itself out from the grit and the grime to like end on this genuinely like hopeful note of of heroism Mm -hmm. which i really appreciated because i think if if this had ended on like this kind of like 
on a note that was as grim and as serious as the rest of it, it would have felt like kind of a pointless movie. But there's resolution at the end here and like a tone shift that I liked. Resolution, and it just, it brings Batman back to like the idea that saving people uh, in and rescuing people is cool. Like that, like it just made the heroism, <laughs> the heroism of, of, yeah, like it just made uh, Batman a hero again uh, instead of just like this dark Avenger, right? Like he starts out full Judge Dread mode, full uh, dark Avenger, and then he starts to realize, wait a minute, you know, if I just do this, if I'm just punishing people and I'm not rescuing people, like at the very beginning, right, he notices the mayor had a son, and the son is the one who discovered the dead body of his father. Mm-hmm. And he's just like, he, you see him hone in on that, and the camera hones in on that because they're tr- he's wondering, how do I stop that from happening? How do I save the kid from that, like, you know, loss of right. life and loss of purpose? And at the end, he's met with that again, where he notices there's a bunch of people who are about to die, and he's just like, fuck it, I've got to save people. Like, I can yeah. beat up the bad guys, but if I don't save anyone in the process, I'm no better. And, like, yeah, that's... and I, like, that's what the arc was. It was it was him figuring out exactly why he's doing this and what, you know, yeah, he can relate to these other psychos who run around at night wearing masks, but, like, what separates him from the rest of the psychotic street anarchists <laughs> it, that makes just... him a better person? It's just that l- small level of altruism where, like, you know, no matter what, he's going to save people. That's why the Joker always escapes, right? Because he's like, I'm not going to let innocent people die from the Joker's shenanigans. So, And it's also kind of sad at the same time because he starts to rescue people, but then he steals the spotlight from the Riddler. And the Riddler feels uh, bitter towards him at the end. Like, you know, we yeah. could have we could have done it all. We could have just been partners in anarchist crime but instead you're this hero and you took my spotlight so now i'm stuck in that hole again where no one knows who i am so like the well, riddler is now his rival now is yeah. part of his rogues gallery well that's what i mean by like by the riddler like you know he wins and he loses at the end like his whole plan was to get kidnapped get sent to arkham and then flood the city and that's exactly what happens but the failure is in him realizing that he doesn't have a friend in in batman he doesn't mm-hmm. he couldn't relate to him in the way that again the relationship was purely parasocial yep and got like that whole interrogation scene where we're like they finally they're face to face it's not the most important moment in the film but it's so cool because they make the riddler his own character he doesn't sound like the joker when he's talking to him you know he doesn't he's not like oh i'm gonna show you how crazy the world is he's just like you know he he empathizes with batman on some level he knows like, spoiler alert, but he knows who Batman is, and he's like, I don't care. It's just like, you and I were paralleling as far as what we're doing, just slightly different. It's like, let's be friends. Like, and then he's also upset, where he's just like, wait, you didn't figure it out? It's just like, yeah, I thought well, I was being so clever. See, here's the thing, is I thought the implication was that the Riddler didn't know who Batman actually was. Hmm. He wasn't aware that Batman was Bruce Wayne, because Bruce Wayne is, like, enemy number one to him. Right. So I think that's sort of like also feel. There's that moment where yeah, in that interrogation scene where where he's like name dropping Bruce Wayne and Batman's kind of got that like, oh shit, does he know, does he know who I am moment? And then I think the re- you know that scene ends with him kind of going, oh no, he doesn't. He's just really close. <laughs> he's really close, but he also he also says like I don't really care who you are. Like I'm seeing you right now. You know, he's right. just like what you do with the mask on that's who you are. Like, whatever your real identity is, if that is the case, he's just like, I don't care. He's like, you're here now and you can be my friend. But then he steals his spotlight and that fucks him up even further. And his whole origin story, 
I like the idea that he says it. He says it, and it's not this biblical thing you have to, like, really get into and know. He just says, like, yeah. wait a minute. I was an orphan. I grew up in, like, this 18th century impoverished lifestyle in modern-day America, right, where he just says, like, people are, like, babies are dying in his orphanage as a kid because there's no heating on. Like, you know, this right. basically a problem you'd have in the 1800s, but it sounds like they're having it now. And he just goes into, like, the bitterness towards the Waynes, the bitterness towards the city, and he's just like, I'm smart. I'm smart, you're tough, let's work together. And, you know, it's the death of a bromance. That's the real tragedy in all this. <laughs> <laughs> the death of a bromance that never even was to begin with. <laughs> well, that's, I think that's another uh, uh, bash at the whole, uh, like, online uh, friends things, right? Because, like, the whole thing is the, the Riddler doesn't know the reality. You know, he thinks he does. Where he's just like, oh, I've seen you online, I've seen you on newspapers, I've seen you from afar, right? that all that distance relationship and then he meets him in person and he he starts like uh, getting upset like a child or he's just like wait a minute i thought i knew you like i thought i understood everything and he can't handle that idea that there's uh that people are more complex than just like how he's compartmentalized them yeah yeah there's there's a few other like cinematic moments i think are, are very important that we can also dive into uh uh the last thing I'll say about the Riddler, but more towards the scene around the Riddler, is when they finally take him into custody, right? Mm-hmm. That whole transition of the cof- at the coffee shop where they're taking him away, and you hear that they're taking him away, but you just zoom in on, or the, the, the camera pans on his coffee, and you see the question mark. I feel like that whole scene is an homage to Adam West's uh, Batman montages or intros, right? Oh, the Yeah! Role. It uh-huh. felt like that, where it's just like, you know, this is where the pow would be. This would be, uh, this would be where, like, the, Batman, the bat signal shows up, and you know, then it goes back to the scene. Like, it felt like that, in that mm-hmm. sense. Uh, having said that, I was really upset. The only thing that, this is nitpicking, but I was really upset that there was never a neon sign uh, twitching in and out. And it would say, like, maybe power or something. And then, <laughs> th- then then you would have Batman punch someone, and right as he punched someone in the background, you'd see the power sign that says pow. Pow. Ah, that would have been good. <laughs> they, they could still do that in the sequel. I hope they keep on, they keep that style of, you know, like, homages to the Adam West intros. Because they did it. They did it, and it didn't feel, you know, out of place. Like, when they yeah. zoom in on the, on the coffee cup, and they did that with a few other scenes, um, where it just felt cartoonish, but not out of place right i mean that's what i like about this is this movie is that it has it you know it it meets all the requirements for a batman story it has all of the visual motifs it has all of the you know the the tone and the style and the characters but it was like it was all presented to you in a way that was completely fresh and different so it was like it was like everything that you know that you wanted out of a out of a true batman story was in it it was just felt different and I will say that I, I honestly, I really think the first half of this movie is much stronger than the second. Um, mm-hmm. I think towards the end, it kind of, you know, the end, I like the whole movie throughout, but I think the second half of it does kind of run out of ways to portray Batman in a way that felt unique. I felt that mm-hmm. first half of the movie was much more fresh. But, like I said, it has everything that I would want personally out of what I think a Batman story should be. I agree. 
um, the the first half is all visual cues. It's you have to pay attention to like how Batman pays attention to things, and they they make it real easy. It's not like a hard movie to watch for the first half because it's all there. And if you're engaged with it, you're like, oh, now we're the detective. The audience is seeing what Batman is seeing. Yeah. Towards the second half, right? There's more exposition. There's less visual cues, and I think part of that, it's it's. I think part of it's intentional and part of it's definitely just the idea that there's so much they have to tell in order to yeah. make sure that the audience knows what's happening. Mm-hmm. But that also is just like, that's Batman kind of getting, un- like he's out of focus, right? He starts getting more emotional about whether or not his parents were all good people and he gets more um, focused on that than he does his investigation. And as a result, he misses cues by the Riddler. So it's just the idea that I think part of that might be intentional where it's just like, when he take when Batman takes the eye off the ball, the audience takes the eye off the ball, right? Yeah, like, right. That's because he uh, he is for all intents and purposes like the narrator of the story. Mm-hmm. So you're in his head as he's solving this mystery here, and so yeah, when you know when he when he fucks up, you kind of don't know how that's going to turn out for him. And it becomes it becomes a situation where by the third act, you know, you have like the final showdown. You have the um, the epicness of just Batman fighting goons, but it's also kind of exhausting. Like you see him just getting riddled with bullets, and it's just like the, the like a regular regular gun's gonna knock the wind out of you, regardless if you have just a Kevlar vest on. Right. But in this, yeah. he still has to like you know jump thirty sto- or uh, two stories just to save people, and chugging through water like it's ah. Uh, well, there was a great moment where he got like shot point blank. With like a shotgun, and it knocks yeah. him on his ass for like several minutes, and it was like that's pretty real. Yep. <laughs> yeah, and he has to take adrenaline just to get up. Like you see yeah, him having exactly. to just juice himself. Yeah, oh. and and I mean, what I loved about I mean, for a movie that's three hours long, there's surprisingly little traditional action scenes in it. Like yeah. it wasn't you know it wasn't like a like a martial arts film where he's like punching his way out of every situation, but um, mm-hmm. but the action scenes that were in there. I thought were directed in a way that were was really understated. Like they weren't super flashy and they weren't like, you know, it wasn't like watching like an MCU movie where you would have seen all the choreography and all the all, right. all these swooping camera like the Batmobile chase that happens midway through this movie was was gorgeous. It was shot in a way where it was like it was kind of claustrophobic and frenetic, but it adhered to like real life physics and so much of it was shot from like inside of the vehicles where vision was obscured by like weathering and all the chaos happening outside so you never got like a full picture of this chase and i loved that i thought that was so that was such a um you know Hmm. such a uh tasteful way to do it i would argue that i think the most flashy fight slash chase scene is definitely with the batmobile right like the moment you hear the engine roar up you you get that like oh shit moment right that was so good (laughs) <laughs> it's it's fun because like we, we all love the Batmobile right like I bash the idea of someone building a Batmobile to fight crime but at the same time that's exactly what I want you know just mm-hmm. this ridiculous vehicle that can go over any terrain for no fucking reason other than it should exist to have right yeah <laughs> like you, and just, I mean, you just want it <laughs> like I said it was like like you're you're totally right that the Batmobile chase is the flashiest arguably the most absurd scene in the movie but it's still it adheres it to a degree of realism and it never crosses that line and so that's that's what was really cool about it 
I would argue it gets close. It gets close to being cartoonish with like how the the, the penguin is crashing cars and like causing this, yeah. you know, this huge explosion on a freeway which would right. not go unpunished. Uh, but then, and that seems again like the Adam West moment, right? Where it's just like you know, if they're if you're chasing the bat, if you're chasing a, a Batman villain, they're going to do some sort of like wonky gadgetry to you know try to obscure the Batmobile. But then it goes right back into realism with like how they they actually uh, uh, filmed a real car jump making that jump over the fire and explosions. Like that's mm-hmm. not CGI. That's all fucking real. So they kept it as grounded as they could. Um, another example of that is definitely every time he uses a grappling gun, like, you know, he does the actual, I'm going to hook up a line and just run down this bar, or I'm going to use an actual squirrel suit to fly, uh, off a building. Like they, they get as realistic as possible with it. Um, with everything except for the, uh, the contact lenses that record as cameras. Like that's probably the most fictitious part of the movie as far as the, as far as the gadgetry go. Sure. Uh, and... (laughs) <laughs> we have to do we, we haven't mentioned the the mob element because a good part of this story revolves around like the Falcone's cobblepot as penguin. Yeah. Uh, a surprising amount of it was like I, this with this crime B plot with the yeah with the with the uh the hidden club and Catwoman and the mob boss and stuff. And at times I felt like it was a little detached from the main story, especially like Catwoman's whole thing with Falcone, I was like, that feels like a, like a separate storyline, <laughs> unrelated felt... to the Riddler stuff. But it, it all came full circle at the end. I think it did. I think I think it it works as far as like a factor for both the movie and for showing Gotham, right? Because if you're gonna show right. Gotham being corrupt, you're gonna show the mob. And the movie ends with the idea that now there's this power vacuum that everyone's gonna be trying to trying to grab at. And that'll create more of Batman's rogues galleries. Uh, so it just set up, like, you know, the iconic Batman elements to be there, right? Mm. And I'll say this much about uh, the Falcone element in the show. Uh, I like how that plays into uh, Batman's parents. Because that's one of the criticisms is that, like, Batman's parents, uh, again, like, may have been in on the mob. And we don't know if they're, like, just human characters that got corrupted or if they just, like, had a moment of weakness, as uh, Alfred explains. But right. that level of, oh, was it a mob conspiracy to kill Bat- uh, Bruce Wayne's parents? Was it just something random? We don't know. I like that they introduced that, because, again, it, it brings Batman into his dilemma of, do I want to be Batman, or do I want to be Bruce Wayne? Mm-hmm. And I like that. I like how it returns to that. They solidify why he needs an identity, a secret identity, I mean. Um, and... I'll say this much. I don't know who they got to play uh, uh, Falcone, but he's he's kind of fun when he meets Zoe. Uh, uh, yeah, um, John Turturro. John Turturro. Yeah, because he's he's fun when he meets uh, 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 his surrogate daughter or his um, his bastardized daughter uh, mm-hmm. as Zoe Kravitz. Because he's just he's just gross in that scene, right? Yeah, he's he's, like, a, he's this nasty piece of shit. <laughs> yeah, like, he's 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 not this mob boss who's, like, you know, clean cut and you want to, like, look like him, you know? It's just like, no, he's he's not gangster at all. He's just this weird dude who's about to, like, you know, kill his surrogate daughter, basically. Or mm-hmm. his, uh, and it's just, ugh. It's, that's a cool scene. Um, well, I, yeah, I, th- I think that's the thing, is a lot of Batman comics and stuff, you know, I mean, the, mo- the mobsters are always the villains, but they do kind of, like, romanticize, like, the lifestyle a little bit, as, you mm-hmm. know, as a lot of fiction does. But then, yeah, it was like that, that when it's when it's finally revealed that, you know, 
not only is he her dad, but he also like strangled her best friend to death is kind of yeah. like reality setting in where you're like, this is not like a cool guy. This is like a monster who will strangle women with his bare hands to keep Even, shit secret. It's really gross and dark. <laughs> it's gross. It's terrible. It's, you know, he's definitely a human trafficker, but it, it shows like the grossest and like most depraved uh, uh, malice acts that would be done by an organized crime gang, right? Where it's mm-hmm. just like, and it also shows the frustrations more with Batman. You're like, why aren't you stopping this guy? Like, you know, you're beating up random people on the streets, but why aren't you stopping this guy? And it gets more into that whole, you know, walking that line, that tightrope, right? Where it's just like, do right. you or do you not, like, fuck that person up? Do you kill that person? Because then you're no better as far as, like, being the boogeyman who just kills or the Batman that kills. So I like that they went that far with that character and, like, they show him as just being horrible. And then Cobblepot is, like, the only cartoon relief element for the uh, uh, the mob element. Where he, like, he knows more Spanish than Batman yeah. and, and, and Gordon. Where he's just like, your guy's Spanish is terrible. It's just like, He was great. The, Colin Farrell in that role, he fucking killed it. I mean, you couldn't even recognize that it was him. It didn't look or sound anything like him. And he totally disappeared into that role. Which, which totally. could have ended up being so silly. But it oh. felt really at home in, this, in the universe. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. He could have been, like, he felt like the, you know, the the, the, the mob boss, like, middleman in a 1950s noir, right? Like, the person yeah. you shake down for, for information, mm-hmm. um, which is essentially his role in the movie um, with how Batman, you know, interrogates him and whatnot. I thought that was cool, because usually I'm not a big Penguin fan, and I'm like, well, how do you make Penguin, you know, fun in the, in the movies? In this... I was like, I want to see more Penguin. <laughs> the Penguin's fucking hilarious. <laughs> Did they ever explain why his nickname was the Penguin in this? I did they ever they explain that? They refer to him as the Penguin, but I don't remember if they ever explained to you how he got that that nickname. <laughs> in, I think there's more uh, 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 more to explore there. Yeah, I can't say that I'm not sure that they did either. But it's also well, one of those films where it's just like, you know these characters, right? Catwoman is yeah, Catwoman. Right. Um, like, I never Batman questioned it. Right. But I, I know Penguin is getting his own HBO Max spinoff show, which, you know, props <laughs> to Colin Farrell for being willing to sit in the prosthetic makeup chair for hours and for an entire season of a TV series. It sounds like hell. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. No, he's going to... I'm excited to see where they take that. Um yeah, and like the the mini series that HBO Max has put out have been interesting. Um, it, quick tangent: if you ever see, if you ever have the time to see Peacemaker, it's well worth it. I haven't it's, watched the James Gunn Suicide Squad yet either. I got to do that. Watch that, then watch Peacemaker because like that's how they chron- chronologically uh, 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 go into each other, um, mm-hmm. or how they how they branch off one another. Those movies are good, but in a totally different manner. Um, we'll have to talk about those because James Gunn is his own conversation. Um, Oh yeah, but it's it's still adjacent with the idea that HBO Max and DC seem to be having political uh, criticism within their films now, um, and the, the newest Batman movie felt like that, where it's just a situation of okay, if you have all this crony capitalism running awry, and you have people who can just you know you, they're just politicians that are being bribed left and right, mm-hmm. what do you do? How do you move forward with that? And Batman is met with that. Like, that's the whole point of Zoe Kravitz's character, is just, like, to introduce the idea to him that maybe just preserving this uh, old 1950s idea of Gotham isn't going to save Gotham. Um, That he has to actually, like, create something new that we have to, like, you know, be critical of our 
present day politics, present day scene. Um, same thing with the Riddler, right? The Riddler is literally just 4chan weaponized for murder with a Zodiac killer element. Right. Well, I mean, you know, here's what I like about what the studio is doing is, I mean, they're kind of, they're moving away from the Snyderverse thing, yes. the whole cinematic universe stuff, which is, I'm so thankful for. I just watched Batman v Superman for the first time uh, a couple weeks ago, and it might oh. be the, it might be the worst superhero movie I've ever seen. It's fucking oh, you, horrible. You poor, poor soul. <laughs> you were, you were in the clear to live in an ideal world, and then yeah. you had to just muddy it. <laughs> I, I went into it with low expectations, and it was like it was borderline offensive how how terrible that movie was. But what I like that they're they're kind of moving away from that, and now they're sort of concentrating on quality over. Hmm. cinematic universes like in in i'm almost like i know there's no way that a sequel to the batman doesn't get made you know right. like they were they're already talking about it there's a spinoff show in the mix but i'm like if if they just left this movie alone and then just rebooted batman again right after this i would be totally okay with that because in my mind batman works best as these standalone uh it, it, he's like godzilla a lot like yeah. it's just creative reinterpretation like just give it to some other artist to just reboot and rework like every single time and create like, these different standalone stories. I agree. I agree that it's a, a situation where there's so many different like flavors of Batman and so many iterations of like, you know, a brutalized Batman, Zack Schneider's Batman, Frank Miller's run, you know, year one, long Halloween, like some of the, the killing joke is one of those movie or one of those comics that they constantly reference all the time. Mm-hmm. So it's it's to the point where you can definitely have like different characters or different actors play Batman and I'll suspend my system of disbelief if you're not going for a cinematic universe. Having said that, if they are going to make a trilogy as they plan, I think Robert Patterson is a is a safe bet. because uh, we've seen that he can do franchises that he can cope with making like a trilogy. Yep. So if they have a trilogy planned out, I really just hope that they keep that, like, that the style they introduced in The Batman, I hope they continue showing that style of just how Gotham is its own character, how they're going to have these little homages to the Adam West uh, and, like, other classic Batman material. Like, I hope mm-hmm. they continue doing that because it's fun and there's so much more that they could show. Like what I said with the neon sign and the POW thing, I just felt like something like that could be in there because it's just it could be shown and no one would be like, oh, that's bad. They'd be like, do it again, one more yeah. time. <laughs> well, I mean, that's what the biggest thing to appreciate about this movie, The Batman, is that, mm-hmm. like I said, it features, you know, all the hallmarks of the character that you want. It understands Batman, but it's all presented to you in a way that was all, like, really new and fresh versus, like, Zack Snyder's Batman, where I believe that Zack Snyder reads a lot of Batman comics. I, I'm, I don't doubt that he's a fan but I right. think he must have the media literacy of like a for like a first grader because I don't think he I mean just based on on what a cold blooded fucking murderer Batman is in those movies like I don't yeah. think he understands Batman at all. He's <laughs> so it was Batman. like this this movie was true to the character, but it was new at the same time. Because it, it just I dug. it refreshes like it, it, it's a, a a refreshing take on the character. And it brings Batman back to, like, why it's called the Batman is the idea that it's bringing back Batman to his roots, right? Like, the mm-hmm. idea this is year one being remade, this is, uh, uh, you know, it's got 
homages to the Zero Year, and I think the first Batman comic was, you know, the Riddler, I think, was his, one of his first enemies. Um, his whole outfit, the costume design, is based off of, like, when he used to wear purple gloves and stuff like that. Yeah. And I think in, in the, the New 52, I haven't read it too much, but I've seen the artwork, um, the New 52 Batman run when they did the Zero Year, uh, it's essentially that, right? The Gotham, downtown Gotham is flooded by the, the Riddler, Batman has to, like, you know, rebuild everything from the ground up, um, or help with the rebuilding of everything. It, it had all that in there, but then the idea is it's called The Batman, because now he's Batman. He's rescuing people, he's solving crimes, he's not just doing the Zack Schneider routine of, I'm gonna go out with a tank with a minigun, shoot at yeah. people, and then claim that I don't use guns. Like, he didn't I mean, do any of that. That's what was shocking about Batman vs. Superman to me, it was that move, the, just the complete an utter disregard for the value of human life in that movie yeah. was so <laughs> permeable that it was completely shocking. And then this movie was grim and it was dark, but it was so far from being cynical and childish. And and it, it had that it had that genuine glimmer of hope at the end of it that it just it was like it was a real story. It felt it felt uh, to be a situation where they showed how it can almost get that dark and gritty, right? Like, Batman's fighting with the police. He's like, how can I trust you guys? The Riddler just introduced a bunch of corruption. Um, the idea that you could have a character, right? Like, you'd have a public official with a bomb strapped to their neck, and all they had to do is tell the truth, and the bomb doesn't go off. And he's like, nah, fuck it, I'd rather die than, like, tell people how much of a piece of shit I am. Like, that was so fucking cool to see. Like, just on the level of, like, would you do that? If you're a corrupt, you know, piece of shit, would you live with the idea that now everyone knows the truth or would you die and still try to hold up that hero aspect? Which yeah. I think is also a, a punch at the um, Christopher Nolan run, right? Where it's just like, because uh, at the end of Christopher Nolan's run, they they blame everything on Batman in order to keep uh, um, uh, uh, Harvey Dent's uh, uh, record clear from any crimes. Mm -hmm. Like, it seems that whole the truth isn't good enough statement doesn't work nowadays, right? Where people are like, yeah. no, if there's corruption, we want to know about it. If there's uh, a leak of information, we want to hear it. Uh, and that that's what this film kind of dealt with, is the idea is like, when, when you know, your pants are down, what are you showing? <laughs> yeah, well, and I mean, that's, I mean, like the, the Batman kind of like, kind of a lot of elements and characters sort of wallow in this gray morality, which you're right, it's sort of like the antithetical to what the Nolan trilogy was. I mean, I like those Nolan movies a lot. Um, you know, even this many years after they've come out, but they do really play up the idea of Batman as a symbol. You know, that's kind of like the running theme in those movies, and, and they really sort of, like, treat Batman as this, like, infallible good for a lot of it. And, and But the reality is, is, like I said, like, Batman is a psycho, and he's not entirely in the right to be doing this because it's sort of a no-win scenario. To go yeah. outside at night in costume and beat people up. It just it's, it's not you're not gonna solve the roots of any social issues. <laughs> and and you see that, especially in the club scene where he just he's Batman walking through the club, right? Yeah, and just casually yeah. punching people when he needs to. <laughs> like looked ridiculous and it looked cool at the same time. This movie just rides this fine line of being a comic book but also being like a dark and violent movie that you could take seriously. And it's all those environmental shots, those wide shots when Batman is fighting people. That's what makes it. Where it's just like, it has a sense of realism, but it's still showing the character. 
And it's just like if you came across a scene of Batman fighting someone, whether it's the police uh, of supervillain or just some goons, right? You, you that's how you would see it. You'd see the silhouette of this man fighting other men. Just one looks like a giant bat, and right. that's both ridiculous. But that's exactly what we've been yearning for. And like now, I don't know how I feel about it. Um, where like I like seeing that, but I'm just like, yeah, like this is. This is more of a human character than it is like an epic. I'm a dark crusader and in you know am truly am incorruptible. It's like nah, you're, yeah. You spent how much money on a jet engine attached to a frame of a car? Like, <laughs> well, there's that great moment where he where he's about to jump off the top of the police precinct, and he and he like he's scared to do it. Like yes. that was so, like and no other Batman movie would have included that. They just would have had him like jump off and fly away, and instead he's he's afraid to jump. And then even though he does jump, he still just, like, eats shit on the ground and, like, limps away. I was like, that's that's so great. That's just humanizing this, like, figure who's been treated as, like, a total god for the last couple decades. Right. The idea that, like, every time he swings with the grappling gun, he's going to, like, land it and nothing bad's going to happen. But in reality, that's insanely dangerous and you can easily just, like, you know, pull, like, pull a muscle, right? Pull a tendon and you're yeah. fucked. And in that, it, it like just the idea that he hesitated, just the idea that this is his first jump in action, and he's just like, this can go wrong, and then it does go wrong, and he's like, fuck, I just gotta put my head down and run for it. I like, mean, my that my I'm, favorite Batmans are the ones that yeah, they they hmm. fulfill that moniker of the world's greatest detective, but they, he also makes mistakes. Like he's got to yeah. be a human. He. He has to be. Where it's it's fun to see him as a detective. Batman at his best is a detective and not this Judge Dredd uh, persona, right? Like yeah. he he's on that uh, borderline with what he's doing. Because technically speaking, on a legal aspect, you know, every time he fights with like goons, he doesn't throw the first punch. He shows up as Batman and they punch him and then he punches back. He's investigating crimes, but you can do that as a private detective and the police are letting him in. So there's all these legalities where in Zack Schneider's run, he just does his own whole independent operation and then causes millions of dollars in, ta- in taxpayer damages. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's insane. <laughs> like, that's that's my love about the the, uh, the penguin uh, chase scene. It's, it's the penguin who causes the explosion. Yeah, right? it's just Batman is just avoiding it all. Yeah. That's, that's now, yeah. It's still problematic they didn't charge him for that because it's just like you can't crash 20 cars together and cause an explosion. (laughs) one thing that I thought, like I know like we set up Gotham as corrupt and all these mobsters have way too much power to have anything done about them. But yeah, I mean the Penguin like blew up like three 18-wheel trucks and killed like dozens of people on the highway. And then like later at the end of the movie he's still hanging out at the club with Falcone and I'm like... How are you not, like, arrested and charged for all this damage? That Like, I understand that, like, you know, corruption, money talks, whatever, but, like, goddamn. Yeah, it's like, that. that's, it's insane. And if yeah, the news I'm, isn't covering that, that's equally the, as insane. Commissioner Gordon had you tied up and, like, immediately following that chase scene. He could have brought you to the station for all that shit. Right, and then... <laughs> You get the idea that that's uh, it. It just happened at the same time before they got rid of their like the corrupt law enforcement that they had because they yeah. they do state that like half the police precinct is in the pocket of Falcone, and they've only been able to network with like there's only like what like a hundred cops they show that are like not on the payroll, and mm-hmm. they're like they're clearly the beat cops like the low level uh, 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 workers you know down to earth type of spiel. So the whole thing is like oh your whole SWAT teams and paramilitary cops are the ones on the payrolls, like the ones who have the money. 
are, yeah. are not available, especially when the whole crisis happens, right? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. it's it, it's all visual and it's open for interpretation. Um, that kind of makes it feel more like a Blade Runner world in that aspect, where it's just like you're seeing corruption, but you don't know how far it goes, and yeah. they don't want to get too political with it, so to speak. I mean, that just, it, it all really, like, comes down to just the way everything was presented. Like, I'm 100% I will be buying the art book for this movie when it comes out because the art direction is just gorgeous. And it's got my favorite version of Gotham City because it's so, it's it's tangible in a really gritty way. And then it's also, like, really fantastical in a kind of, like, nightmarish, <laughs> dark, comic booky way. It was, it was gorgeous to look at. It is very much so. It's it's one of those movies I want to watch again. And the the, mo- the thing that I'm most excited for is not necessarily seeing the characters again, but just to see the city and the layouts and like yeah. just wonder if there was anything else in the background that I missed because it's it's beautiful. Like they they had yeah. some great locations. It's not a perfect film, but it, it just it it you know you kind of watch it and you just sink into a chair for three hours and just like swim through all these like nasty vibes that it's thrown at you and it's a great movie to like live in while you're watching it i think i think in a couple years it will feel dated partly because you know our technology is advancing so quickly where you know like i, I tried to rewatch the uh, christopher nolan one and i realized oh this is before social media so they mm-hmm. show smartphones right but it's like it's still like the blackberry samsung and stuff yeah, like that yeah 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 and that's kind of that's kind of funny. Like I like Christopher Nolan's uh, The Dark Knight, um, but this movie is more Batman esque. Where Christopher Nolan tries to go with this realism, and you know it's all about domestic terrorism and the Patriot Act. Like if you can spy on an entire city, who has the right to do that? In this one, it's just a dude and his you know the sharpness of his mind and his own character flaws that pushes the whole plot, and that's what's yeah. cool. And I'm hoping, I'll say this much, for a sequel, I know they hinted at the Joker, right? And they're eventually going to do the Joker because we always have to have Joker in a Batman movie. And I don't know. Personally, I feel like that there's an oversaturation of Joker material. Yeah, so I not, would agree. For sure. I'm not too big on that. Um, but hear me out. What if they brought in Robin? They've never shown the dynamic duo on screen you know, in a successful manner. <laughs> I This is how you know I'm not, like, a true Batman fan because I am just personally, I'm so, like, anti-Robin. I feel really? like you, you undermine the themes of Batman when you give him, like, a partner. Hmm. I really think Batman should be on, like... Like, it's cool in, like, the sillier interpretations and, like, the cartoons and stuff to have, like, a really colorful cast of characters, but in something like The Batman that's just, like, you know that's mostly pretty grim and serious. I feel like, I mean, like take his relationship with Catwoman in this movie, for example, is that they relate to each other just purely based on the fact that they're just, they're both so lonely (laughs) in in these, in these crusades that they're on. And then, and then that's what prevents them from truly partnering up at the end of the movie. So I feel like if you gave him a sidekick in the sequel, you'd kind of completely undercut that. I feel like this, this Batman should stay solo. Um, I know, Matt Reeves has has talked about how the Joker, his kind of cameo appearance in this film, isn't really a setup for a sequel. It's just kind of like planting seeds for like a larger world mm. that this takes place in. He's talked about Mr. Freeze for the sequel, Ooh. which I would love to see done in a realistic way. The monster freak in me really wants to see Man Bat in live action, but Man I know that's Bat- never going to happen. Man Bat would be fun... Because, like, 
because like because man bats like that weird like if you took it super literal type of horror uh yeah. situation um which i do enjoy that and there's been like he's an iconic character but it's hard to make a whole film around man bat um, yeah he's not super complicated i don't think He's not too much. Uh, he is kind of scary in the sense of, like, if you had that creature just out roaming about. And in the comics, I think in the 90s, man that uh, invades the Batcave out of just pure coincidence, right? Like, pure instinct. Yeah. But just the idea of, like, Alfred for 20 minutes having to, like, play hide-and-seek with the man-bat in the cave. Yeah, the... it'd be a horror movie. It'd be sweet. I mean, I, I want to see man-bat by the way of, like, Cronenberg's The Fly. Yeah. Like, it's just oh. this horrific transformation. It would be mm. so cool. It would be fun. Um, Never going to happen, though. Oh, yeah. It, it would have to be, like, a B-plot. It would have to... Because you might be able to throw him in there for, like, half the film at best, but the other half would have to be something else entirely. Yeah. Like, you know, A-plot material is not man-bat. Um, at least in my argument. Yeah, he'd be uh, kind of like a side villain, I feel. That's also he, a really strange character to include as a B-plot. Yeah, well, it's just... You'd have to you'd have to dive into more about him if they wanted to continue this theme of like taking contemporary issues and applying them to the Gotham City and dialing up to them dialing them up to eleven. I would say you take Manbat and you explain how he's uh, a product of his environment, as in like environmental pollution and chemical spills in like the waters of, of uh, uh, um, Gotham City. That's what mm-hmm. like creates the Manbat. And then it's all this investigation of, like, where the man bat came, came from. And it's, like, climate change deniers, and it's that conversation. Yeah, that's... See, that's kind of smart. I didn't even consider, like, what the social implications of what bat, man bat would be in this universe. I just wanted to see it. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I'm with you, too. Like, at the end of the day, just show me a half-man, half-bat fighting yeah. a rich man in a bat suit. <laughs> like I'm a simple guy. That's fair. I will say <laughs> my argument... For Robin, for seeing the dynamic duo on screen, like part of me, I'm just a kid in a candy store, and what I can't have, I want. Like it's just that mm-hmm. frontal lobe, like just give it to me. But at the same time, I feel like on a psychological level, for what they could argue for for a sequel is if you show Batman with a Robin in the sequel, that only shows that he's trying to branch out of his isolationism, right? Because the whole point of Robin is to be this kid-friendly. Uh, like bright future-esque idea of what Gotham could be where he's you know he cracks jokes he's uh, about being colorful and flamboyant but then at the same time like when he rescues people people are more uh, uh, um, they're less hostile towards Nightwing towards Robin and whatnot Um, Mm. so I feel like they could run with that the idea that you know Robert Pattinson's Batman's trying to branch out he's still trying to save that kid you, um, I guess you totally could kind of twist it in a way that works thematically and sort of feeds into an arc, but it, it's funny to me that, like, all, all these filmmakers that um, tackle Batman in live action, they, they all seem to... The one thing they all have in common is that they all kind of seem to just swerve around Robin. None of yeah. them really want to touch it. Like, like he's Christopher Nolan kind of had, like, a little hint at the end of the dark knight rises but it's not really robin the character and then like robin's already dead in the snyder verse yep (laughs) snyder just killed him off screen (laughs) and i'm uh i'm on the fence with i'm still on the fence with robin but i do like like i grew up watching the um uh the animated film batman film um under the red hood yeah that's a good one it's so much fun but it plays off of like the worst robin becomes and a terrifying like Batman who kills, uh, and that whole movie in animated form works great. 
uh, I wouldn't mind seeing like a Red Hood in live action adaptation film if they're gonna go that route. Like, you know, do you kill or do you not kill? Do you become this vicious murderer slash crime boss uh, with your own moral compass, or do you continue to believe in like you know an established uh, justice system? Uh, but having said that, it's kind of Red Hood's also kind of oversaturated, where he's made an appearance in the Titans show. His comics run, uh, spree is still running, but like the best part for him was the idea that he's this, you know, prodigal son returns type of idea. But he's not prodigal. He's the shame of of Bruce Wayne and his failure to create like a better Batman. Right. Um, and I've I've talked about that before, and I really like that that uh, uh, idea. But I don't know. I've never. I don't know where you would take like the upbeat Robin. That's the only thing. Like Nightwing's Robin is always supposed to be hopeful and fun. Um, yeah, and that's the ha- thing. There's like there's six there's like six Robins, and yeah. I don't know enough about Batman lore to keep track of all of them. So it's like which one, which one do you tackle first? It's it's tough. I don't know how you would do it in a trilogy. Um, in a miniseries, I could see it happening, but I doubt HBO will do that with uh, with the Batman. Um, but it's cool. The the other thing is, if they're going to make a trilogy, and you've already mentioned that they might do um, Mr. Freeze, which would be awesome, mm-hmm. uh, what what else could they show in this Batman universe as far as, like, rogues gallery? Like, minus the Joker, who else do you think would actually be, like, a prime candidate for to be that antagonist? I, I don't want to say, like, Mr. Freeze just barely meets the quota of, like, like he's almost too fantastical to fit in this universe. We've already seen by their portrayal of the Penguin that, and the Riddler that they're not really mm-hmm. interested in going too crazy. So I think that rules out characters like Clayface and like Poison yep. Ivy. You know, all these characters who are legitimately super-powered. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I, yeah, anybody who's not, like, magic, <laughs> I, I agree. think would be a pretty good fit. I will say... I like Batman better, just on a macro level, I like Batman better when he's not saving the city from a huge disaster. Like, even Riddler's plan is more about taking down the government uh, that uh, governs the city of Gotham rather than just destroying the whole city with, like, a nuclear bomb. Yeah, Um, I would agree. I mean, I think the best Batman stories are the ones where he's, like, actively, like, solving cases. Yep. Or, like, these kind of socially charged instances of violence. And they, um... The only exception to that, I'd say, as far as, like, supervillains go that are, like, super fun to see on the big screen would definitely be, like, um, Rachel al Ghul, um, uh, Bane. Uh, real quick, if, if I had, like, a, this is a, a fan thing that I've just been yearning for. Hear me out. Dave Bautista as Bane. <laughs> That's pretty good. And, and he's, he's the crazy-ass Nightfall Bane where he's just, like, I was tor- tormented by a bat in my prison cell as a child. You are that bat now. I'm going to fucking kill you. Like, that's it. Like, yeah. it's just unbridled rage and steroids. Like <laughs> I'd like to see a Bane that kind of, like, meets a nice middle ground between, like, Christopher Nolan Bane and, like, Joel Schumacher Bane. Like, kind of yeah. meet in the middle, where he's kind of like a, like a drugged-up psycho, but he's also, like, a human. <laughs> and and he, his whole outfit and attire and bravado is that of an El Luchador wrestler. And Dave Bautista is a former pro wrestler. Like, he can yeah. bring out that ridiculousness and that grittiness. <sighs> I don't know. I, I saw someone in, a, someone in a discussion thread online that I was reading after I saw this movie. They were talking about the, the scene where, he, where Batman pulls out the adrenaline shot 
that yeah. isn't really established earlier in the movie. He just has it on him. And somebody mm-hmm. was like, oh, that's Venom. They're setting up Bane. And I was like, no, it's not. They would have yeah. <laughs> established it a lot sooner if it was something that important. Like, it's <laughs> probably just adrenaline. Because, like, we all know what adrenaline is at this point, you know? Like, it's... <laughs> If when it's when it's venom, venom's like a super steroid. Like you lift cars with venom. Like you don't just yeah. get up from a shotgun blast and start beating up people. Like if he was on venom, he wouldn't have stopped. Like that dude's head would just be a red paste. Wasn't there a whole comic book arc in like the eighties or nineties where Batman gets like addicted to venom and he turns into like an asshole? I think or am so. I, am I making that up? I think he did. Uh, I know that Red Hood at one point got addicted to venom. Um, and had to, like, give it up. But that was during the New 52 run, and it wasn't, like, this well-established arc. It was just kind of thrown in there last minute. Um, I think he gets addicted to uh, to Venom at one point, because it's the idea that Batman wants to be faster, stronger. Like, he's yeah. still on that whole, I'm not Bruce Wayne, I'm just Batman vibe. And then he realizes how toxic and dangerous that mindset is. Um, and I think it's the idea that, like, yeah, he becomes... I saw a YouTube video about it, like, uh, where it's just all about this idea that he, uh, he almost considers, like, committing a crime just to get Venom and stuff like that. Like, he goes down Mm -hmm. the deep end. I'm not sure. Um, you know, I, you mentioned New 52, and now I'm thinking I could definitely see them tackling, like, the Court of Owls in this series. It's kind of like the cap to a trilogy. That would be kind of sweet. Court of Owls has tied into the whole Wayne family thing. Yeah, well, like, the Court of Owls has yet to be, like, done justice on, and in animated or in um, um, the big screen mode. Because it's just, here's the problem, is, like, they're introduced, and you have this whole conspiratorial, like, Illuminati type of spiel in Gotham mm-hmm. City. And it's fun, because it's just like, wait a minute, if it's all the elites, then that means Bruce Wayne's uh, parents might have been involved. And it, he just, like, he's stuck with not knowing who's behind the curtain type of deal. Um but then they didn't do anything with it after the New 52. Like, the Court of Owls just became this trope rather than, like, a well-established threat. Yeah. I was going to say, I don't think, I mean, to my knowledge, I don't think it's ever, the Court of Owls has ever been adapted outside of the comics. I don't think. It's too the, new for that. They did an animated movie, I think it's called Batman vs. Robin, and the Court of Owls. Oh! Like, yeah. Yeah, it's really bad, in my opinion, just because... Yeah, somebody somebody told me not to watch that movie. That's why I didn't know that. <laughs> it's, it's, it's not worth it. I watched it, because I was just like... I was in the, the Batman mode, and I was just like, okay, well, let's see how they adapt the Court of Owls, and I was just like... They, they introduce this cool element, and then, spoiler alert, like, this one random Talon, uh, that, that's what they're called, the, um, the enforcers of the Court of Owls, just mm-hmm. kills all the Court of Owls and then tries to kill Batman, and then Robin ends up saving the day, and it's just like, okay, so just Batman versus a bunch of ninja zombies, so like Batman uh, versus the Hand. I was gonna say, that sounds that sounds like, the Court of Owls is too big of a of an idea to take care of it that simply. Yeah, like, it, it becomes a MacGuffin rather than this idea of like, you know, like you're dealing with an ancient organization and you don't know their whole motivations and they have these dangerous creatures that they just call the talons um and more more of the interest was just the idea that everyone uh everyone can be killed in the court of owls but then you don't know who's like the the, the you know who's pulling the strings behind the strings so right. it got it got very wonky very quickly but at the beginning it had all this mystery and it was just like who could be doing this? Who has this technology? Who's, you know, running this? Why do they make Gotham City so shitty for everybody? You know, like, you could easily do a lot with it, but I don't know. Um, 
it is yet to be like taken past its uh, origin story. How about this? Do you know about um, uh, Batman Hush? I do, I haven't read it, but I do know of it, and I have heard people talking about bringing Hush into this series. Of Hush, films. Hush is kind of realistic. Hush is like if Batman, if a Batman was more childish and just completely egocentric. Uh, Hush is like this character uh, who's based off of um, who's like a. a like you, you do you care if I spoil the comic for you at this point or go for it. <laughs> All right. So, so Hush's character is this old time childhood friend of uh, Bruce Wayne's who's what? like, yeah. So he's this old time uh, friend of Bruce Wayne's like childhood friends, right? They grow up, mm-hmm. uh, but he's like weirdly jealous of everything that ba- uh, Bruce Wayne has. Like the idea that Bruce Wayne uh, lost his parents and uh, 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 Thomas <laughs> Elliot wanted the same thing where he's just like I just want to inherit all the money I just want to be an orphan because you know like they, Bruce Wayne got all this attention for it right so he's just like this kid who has no real understanding of the uh, the real world and then he becomes like this surgeon so he's like this world renowned surgeon and he starts creating a plot to like take down the Batman and he, he figures out Batman's identity he does it all so he's just trying to be like a better Batman in the most childish of ways where he's not trying to solve crimes he's not trying to do any good for the city he's just he just wants the power of batman with none of the responsibility right and the hard part about hush is the idea that he's this like malevolent malevolent childish creature the cool part is the idea that he takes all of his time to create these conspiracies uses his influence as a world-renowned surgeon to like even change his own face so it doesn't matter if you discover that it's thomas elliott he's just like he'll just swap his face out with someone else's Go on the high, go on, uh, go uh, underground, and then come back with a terrible plot to take down uh, Bruce Wayne. Um, <laughs> That's kind of so cool. It's kind of cool. It's a little bit all over the place, but you could easily take the character, throw in some uh, like modern day exposition and like uh, uh, political aspects, and just run with it. Like you know, a ch- a more childish Batman is how I see Hush. Um, I, I I mean this movie already establishes like you know the kind of shady the shady past of the Waynes and 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 you know how you know the criticism of Batman coming from money and like the silver spoon that he had in his mouth and stuff like that so I could see that I could see that happening in this for sure it would be it'd be fun and the other great thing about Hush is like the the Hush comic that when it first came out. It uses all of Batman's favorite uh, rogues galleries. Like, you got Killer Croc in there. You have um, the Sweet. Lazarus Pits are, men- are mentioned. Um, there's more Catwoman, so you could have that. There's, uh, yeah, like, uh, the Joker is in there for a split second, but he's also a pawn. Like, everyone, like, if someone held all of Batman's rogues gallery hostage for some big conspiracy to take down the Batman, so it just goes from Scarecrow, uh, Killer Croc, to everybody, like, they tried to make it also into an animated film. Uh, I think it was the same studio that did uh, Batman vs. Robin. Mm. And it was not fun. Because um, it, it took Hush, and then it just ran with it in a different direction uh, that people didn't like. Uh, but eh, it's just uh, another criticism of the the animated series for DC have been weird lately. I'll say that yeah. much. Yeah, I, I gotta catch up on... Batman books because I you know I've read like you know the big ones like the classics like the Killing Joke and Dark Knight Returns and Court of Owls yeah. and all these all the ones that everybody knows but I I gotta read more because I I went to a used bookstore the other day to to find some Batman books so I can catch mm. up on this stuff and the whole B section of their comic book shelf was. 
completely picked clean, save for like five copies of Frank Miller's Dark Knight Returns two, and I was okay. flipping through this. I was flipping through this book, and oh. I was like, I could see why people didn't take this one. <laughs> the the art in the Dark Knight two is not, um, or the Dark Knight Returns part two is is known for not being um, Frank Miller's best. Uh, it's odd. It's strange looking. It's strange. It's a little bit too artsy at times, where it's just like very gets it gets very abstract, and some of the some of the work could just be like well adjusted, just just adjusted a little bit, and it would hit better. But yeah, it's just, and it's a shame because like the first when the Dark Knight Returns, when they made that one, and when Frank Miller made that one, it was also criticizing Batman and, and modern day American politics, right? Like there's Reaganism in there. There's this whole fight with Superman. Um, so he had something to say, and he did say it. He also, Frank Miller is one of the few uh, writers and artists for his time who would, like, challenge people with, like, oh, this is how, this is the final showdown between Batman and the Joker. Like, he mm-hmm. at least gave interpretations for how Batman could be could move past his rogues gallery um, and be more of a legacy character. Uh, to each their own, you know, it's not perfect, and it's, it's still the gritty Batman that just goes around brutalizing people. Um, also, you couldn't, you can't show Frank Miller's Batman with Tom pa- uh, uh, Tom Patterson or Robert Patterson, because Robert Patterson isn't as bulky as what yeah. Frank Miller's version is, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. I know Batfleck was trying to go for the for the Dark Knight Returns kind of look, but I mean, again, Zack Snyder doesn't know what he's doing, and he's pulling all of the wrong bits and pieces out of Frank Miller's ideas, and he's just turning. Frank Miller wrote and drew Batman as a fascist. And mm-hmm. and in Batman v Superman, he's just like a violent murderer, and nobody ever questions it. There's no like yeah, thematic reasoning for him to be that way. It's cool. You know, it's, it's a billionaire with rockets attached to a car with a minigun that he's just using <sighs> casually around a you know the public areas and the docks. And Here he's clearly is, killing people. Yeah, I mean, my my biggest the the one thing I can say about that movie is that no, I know enough about these characters to know that any movie with an officially licensed use of Superman in the title should not have an R-rated extended cut. That's all you need to know. <laughs> just doesn't need to happen. Yeah. Yeah, and I'll, I'll be honest, like, Batman v Superman, just the idea of Batman versus Superman is kind of, it's played out, right? Like, Zack Snyder did it, but do we need to see it again? Do we need to see more of that? Like, if we see no. another Batman v Superman in our lifetime, I'll be so pissed. <laughs> I didn't even go to see it the first time. It took me like five years to watch it. So like, you really didn't miss anything super important. Like, no, it turns out I didn't. <laughs> and it's it's weird that like you got to pit the fandom against each other on that level. Just like I don't know. I have my reservations about it. I have my reservations about the whole um, uh, Lex Luthor plot that they have in there, which it, like uh, what's his name? The guy who Jesse plays Eisenberg. Lex- yeah, Jesse Eisenberg is another one of those guys where I like him as an actor, but in this he gave off more Riddler vibes than Lex Luthor. <laughs> like, yeah. He just, uh, and it's just, uh, it's a situation where that film, they, they go this more Excalibur uh, um, plot vibe. Like if you if you rewatch it, you'll notice that in the beginning when they show the murder of uh, uh, Thomas and Martha Wayne, uh, mm-hmm. In the background, it's usually Zorro. Usually, it comes out like Batman comes out of watching a Zorro movie because Zorro was his favorite uh, uh, hero growing up, and that's what inspired his whole look. But in this, he comes out of seeing the Excalibur movie, and the whole <laughs> plot, whole 
uh, Batman v Superman plot revolves around the Excalibur plot, like the whole murder of Superman, right? Where he's he's stabbed and he pulls himself closer to Doomsday in order to stab uh, Doomsday more with the Kryptonite spear. All mm-hmm. of that is exactly what happens with King Arthur fighting his evil bastardized son. Oh. So, oh, never mind. This is a good movie, actually. <laughs> it, it, <laughs> it has, like, it, it it lacks good execution, but it has material that it's referencing. Involves, yeah. Yeah, involves heroism and the idea of, you know, uh, a messiah that is dead but will rise again. Like, they go through all that, but, you know, it, it doesn't go past the idea of, like, okay, why does Batman do what he does? Like, why can we let this dude run around in a tank and just brutalize right. people? You know, why do we let well, Superman be Superman and not, like, something else? I'm, um, I'm glad that, you know, Batman movies are kind of, with this with the Batman, they've kind of gotten back on track and we're sort of, like, in a new, you know, we have, like, a new thing going that's really good because, you know, watching Batman v Superman, I'm like, why are these characters <laughs> acting this way? Why are they doing this? And then, you know, watching the Batman, I'm like, this is perfect. It's everything I wanted and it's still surprising. Yes, it's... It's enough of what we need from to say that it's it represents the source material, where you know it has the homages, it has the um, uh, it ta- it's taking it serious, but then it just adds that a little bit of uh, different cinematog- cinematography that we're not used to in a Batman movie, and that's yep. why I say it's like a 1950s noir film, but in modern day with modern day American politics and then the the fictitiousness of uh, uh, Gotham City because it all goes through the noir tropes, right? You know the uh, um, middleman, uh, criminal for information. That's Penguin. The femme fatale is Zoe Kravitz's um, uh, Catwoman. The mob boss, who's you know both infamous but involved, uh, but has like some sort of connection with the main character. That's Falcone. Um, the be- deadbeat cop, uh, who's is, is who's trying to like you know got, has a heart of gold, is kind of like Commissioner Gordon, where he's like, I know everything's corrupt, but I can't do anything about it yet, pal. Like, yeah, yeah. It it has all those uh, those uh, uh, tropes, uh, and it's filmed that way too. Like there's so many there's so many good night shots of just shadow techniques that it's just beautiful. Where it's just like I want to see Batman late at night, just you know, as a silhouette. I don't need to see the whole fucking outfit. Yeah, well, in I mean, out of the whole movie, I think there was like really one or two scenes that took place during the day, and it was like the funeral and. Like, hmm. towards the end of the movie, when he's, you know, with the emergency crews helping everybody. And that was, like, it. It was, like, the other, the the other, you know, 99% of the movie was shot at night in the dark, and it looked great. It was awesome. And that also parallels with the gothic tone that it was taking, but at the very end, right, you literally have the dawn breaking right as Batman is becoming more heroic, so yeah. it's that whole, you know, the night is darkest until the dawn type of spiel. Right. It was thematic, you know, versus the Nolan films, which I like, but they flip-flop between day and night, like, real willy-nilly. <laughs> Nolan? Like, consistently. Oh, yeah. Like, there, as a kid, I, I watched a, a bunch of videos on how people broke down Nolan's uh, cinematography, and people would find that, like, it's all about the feeling, right? But it has nothing to do with the... Uh, um, um, the environment, like if you if you notice in the in the uh, chase scenes and the high scenes in Nolan's Dark Knight, um, like shadows are changing different times a day, like ca- uh, cars in one scene or in one shot, then flip in another shot. Like the the uh, um, not cinematography, um, but just the uh, placement of certain things are slightly mm. off. But yeah. the ultimate 
like message is received, right? Like you know what mm-hmm. the, the Joker's plot is, and by the end of the, the this fight scene, you're like, okay, now we're here. Now we're gonna move this direction. Like the feeling, you keep the feeling going in a Nolan film, but the actual uh, categorization for everything is slightly wonky because he's not worried about that as much as just like getting to the action, getting to uh, um, the acting scenes and the plot. Um, right. But in this. So much of the style is the substance in the Batman, right? Yeah. In in retrospect, I think the Dark Knight movies are more Christopher Nolan films than they are Batman movies for Mm -hmm. for more than one reason, I think. There's a whole other podcast in itself. But yeah, this is... The Batman is... is, It's quintessential Batman, both visually and thematically, but it's also got like the very specific artistic touch of the guy who made it who clearly understands what he's doing and had a really vivid vision of what he wanted it to look like. Yeah, I need to learn the director's name and everyone who was involved in, like, just the, you know, the art aspect of creating this. Like, when you get that art book, please tell me who wrote it, like, who's behind it, because I'm just like, you guys know what's up. I want to see more of your work. <laughs> yeah, I want to see I want to see more Batman that looks like this going forward. Uh, I just... He needs to be a detective. If he's not a detective, he's not solving crimes. And I've been saying that about the uh, comics, too. Like, um, after they did the DC Rebirth, um, I started reading their uh, the, the the Batman detective comics, um, mm-hmm. which is, it's, it's more about the idea of, like, you know, Batman solving crime cases, um, and he's got, like, all of his um, sidekicks working with him now, so it's just, like, a small division of, like, Batman Incorporated is working in the detective comics storyline. My only problem is, like, so many of the plots revolved around saving Gotham from, like, an impending doom, right? Like an yeah. army or, like, a bomb yeah, going to go off. I've, I've straight up, I've picked up and put down so many Batman books without finishing them just because they're just too punchy. They're too yes. action-y. And I'm like, that's not what I want out of this character. He can be so much more than that. It's a situation where Batman is saving the world. Like, the moment Batman has to save the world, he's justifying whatever, you know, civil rights issue that he uh, uh, violates, right? Like, if he, when he violates our privacy in the Nolan films uh, with, the, with tracking everyone's cell phones just to find the Joker for one night, it's justified because the Joker is holding, like, thousands of people hostage, right? Yeah. But in, in, in the classic detective novels, right, the idea is that Batman is akin to Dick Tracy, and Dick Tracy is just trying to clean up the streets, and he has to fight all these cartoonish villains uh, of, like, you know, mobsters with deformities. Um, And Batman was based off of, like, Dick Tracy, but just, you know, for kids. And that's the thing. It's just, they they could just show more of him investigating crimes. The animated series did a lot of that, too. Like, if you watch Batman the Animated Series, so much of it is him discovering his villains, discovering um, their yeah. their plots and their um, the aspects of what they're doing. Like, there's an entire episode, I remember as a kid, that was just... It wasn't even about uh, Batman's rogues galleries. It was about this one crime mob boss uh, who was involved in the drug business, and, like, he had, like, an epiphany at the end of the episode about how his drugs were ruining his son, how they were ruining Gotham. I remember this. I remember this episode. I I think a lot of people would agree that Batman the Animated Series is like the quintessential piece of Batman media, just artistically and in tone and the writing and just the presentation of everything. It really, like, it's it's so perfect. (laughs) Very much so. And if if they're going to go with a Mr. Freeze route in the sequel for the Batman... Uh, I'm not against it, but they really have to, like, lean on the Batman animated series, Mr. Freeze, more than, yeah. like, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger's interpretation. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, definitely. 
<laughs> what if they got? What if they got a senior Arnold Schwarzenegger to play uh, Mr. Freeze in, with uh, Robert Patterson's? Batman? I don't think he'd do it. I don't think anybody who's involved in a Joel Schumacher Batman film wants anything to do with with any kind of legacy content surrounding those roles. <laughs> and as they should, you know, it's it's a test. If they try and pick up that mantle, I don't know, we should ostracize them from our community, you know? They should, <laughs> <laughs> they should just be, you know, removed from the voting booth. I don't know what they have. It's just their their opinions no longer matter if they think they could yeah. just jump back into it. But but you know, I, I I kid. I'm I'm certain Arnold Schwarzenegger is a wise man and he knows his limitations. <laughs> That's the thing. Now I'm trying to think about who my dream cast for Mr. Freeze would be. I'm going to have to sit on that for a minute. Yeah, it's... Uh, so Well, so much of it is... Huh. Well, it's like, who's the best bald actor I know? Ooh. But they've got to be... It's not just... like They definitely have to be bald. Anyone can go bald, as far as I know. Well, uh, you can shave your head for a movie. That's fine. Yeah. <laughs> well, you put on the bald cap. As long as it's not noticeable. But, right. like, they've, they've got to be... They have to sound like a tragic intellectual, right? Because the whole thing with yeah. Mr. Freeze is that he's capable, but he's just gone down this, you know, dark path where, you know, corruption in the city led to his uh, his illness of just being stuck in a freezer for the rest of his days. Which uh, is why Arnold Schwarzenegger is such a dog shit choice for Mr. <laughs> Freeze, because he's not the tortured intellectual that he's supposed to be. Yeah, yeah, it's... It'd be tough. Um, I don't know, like... Trying to think about it. You could get, like, a, an A-list actor, and they could probably kill the role. Um, like, Daniel Day-Lewis is pretty transformative. Like, he, he can, he, if he can be Abraham Lincoln, he can be almost anything. But at If the he same can time, get out of retirement, he can play Mr. Freeze. Yeah, that's the other thing, is he's kind of like a senior actor. And he, he, I'd want someone, like, you know, late 30s, who could play the role and do, not like stunts, but, you know, just be in the action scenes when they need him to be. Um, right. Yeah, I don't know. I'd have to sit on that one. Uh, if if I'm really branching out right now, and this is probably a horrible idea, uh, <laughs> hear me out. Matthew McConaughey. Does Only because terrible. he's pretty. He's pretty transformative. He's pretty transformative. If you ever see, if you like a uh, uh, Colin Farrell, if you like Matthew McConaughey, check out True Detective season one and two. Um, I've not watched it yet, but I have so many people who have told me to watch that show. Matthew McConaughey in season one, because he's only in season one of True Detective. Like, every season is its own self-contained story. Yeah. Um, season one with Matthew McConaughey for True Detective is great. Matthew McConaughey in that, though, he looks physically different. Like, he looks physically different in some of the scenes where I'm like, I know that's him. But like, and he's he's not wearing prosthetics. He's wearing like a regular ass suit. But he just he's done something with his face and his hair, and he just looks physically different. Where I'm struggling to identify it as Matthew McConaughey. That is the mark of a truly talented makeup and costume department. Yes, yes, as well as fantastic acting ability. Oh, he kills it in that role where he's he's this cynical detective. And by the end of the of the season, you feel for him. You really fucking feel for him, but not in the way you would imagine. Um, yeah. Going into it, okay, okay. I've got one who could probably pull off a franchise and probably work relatively well, but he'd have to like you know reach. Um, Adam Driver as Mister Freeze. That's not bad at all. Actually, I could see him fitting very at home 
in this movie's universe. Because like if if you watch like I'm not big on it on the star on the new Star Wars trilogy, but if you watch him in the Star yeah. Wars trilogy, he's like as an actor, he's one of the better parts. But when he's fighting, he looks massive, like yeah. he looks huge. But then when he's talking with like uh, Han Solo in the movies and stuff like that, he looks physically smaller. Like he I was shrinks. gonna say he he's got like a he's one of those actors that's got like a really unexpected physicality to him, and he's also like really good at acting too. Oh yeah. If you a good Adam Driver movie and um, Andrew Garfield movie is uh, Martin Scorsese's Silence. I haven't watched it yet. I really want to. I recommend it's been on my it. List for a while. Uh, in that, Andrew Garfield looks gorgeous. Like he's got this Jesus beard and mane thing going on. <laughs> when he, does he, he not look gorgeous? Oh, it's it's hard to make him look ugly. But then Adam Driver's his his like polar opposite, where Adam Driver's like physical features have been morphed, where his ears look huge, his nose is huge, like he just looks like uh, objectively ugly in that film. But he cool. kills the role. Like he's ah, him as like, this Portugal priest is just beautiful. <laughs> I gotta. I've I've been meaning to watch that movie because my favorite director Shinya Sugimoto has a role in it. As, oh. as one of the and so it's like that's like the sole reason I've been wanting to watch that movie but now 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 I should watch it just to see just to fuel my my dreams of Adam Driver as Mr. Freeze it's good it's uh it's, a, it's an emotional ride um oh god it's just a situation where like it like there are certain actors who have that physicality where their body language is is so much their style Adam yeah. Driver for me is one of them. Matthew McConaughey's another. Andrew Garfield is fun, but Andrew Garfield's like you know he's got a level of charisma how he does his performances. Um, he's too pretty for Mister Freeze. Oh yeah, too pretty for Mister Freeze. I, I don't I can't see Andrew Garfield playing a villain. Like it's not impossible, but I don't know what he would be good at as far as like a villainous role. <laughs> I don't know. That's a good question, actually. Because now like, you know, I just want to hmm. sit down. I really want to like get Matt Reeves on the phone and just be like, all right, who's your top three casting choices for Mr. Freeze? Because I genuinely don't know. <laughs> you just That's have a like tough, a bunch of, you have a bunch of burner phones cast. and yeah. you just keep on calling him and harassing him. Like, dude, I know this is like me the 10th time, but can you please tell me? <laughs> please return my calls. <laughs> and if you're wondering where I keep on buying all these flip phones, they're only like four ninety nine right now at AT and T. It's a really good deal. So my point is, <laughs> I can I can keep on doing this, Matt. I you got to keep doing get... this for forever. <laughs> Show me <Nah>. the deets. <laughs> Leave Matt alone. <laughs> <laughs> God, it's just. But if if they do, I'll I'll say this much less about acting and more about just potential plot uh, scenarios. If they do, Mister Freeze. They've got to focus on the medical system, because uh, as you know, the American yeah. medical system is great, and no one mm-hmm. ever complains about it. Uh, but in math, and but in, hmm. I mean, oh. Mister Freeze, this whole thing is his wife is sick and dying, and he can't cure her. So, yep, and he can't get the equipment he needs to cure her. Like he's he's on the verge of getting the, his research done, and he's shut down by his like his employers, and so and that's he it. has he has to become a guy with an ice gun to solve this. Basically, as one would do, <laughs> but when right, you live in, yeah. a, but when you live in a city with a, a fucking bat, you know, working with the police with a, a car with a jet engine attached to it, <laughs> it's not outrageous. It's Unfortunately, not an outrageous it's, concept. It's the norm, you know. It's just like, well, fuck it. You know, I'm unemployed now. Uh, wife is sick. All right, I'm gonna start robbing ba- banks with liquid nitrogen. <laughs> well, I tonight I was gonna watch Batman Returns because I've never seen it, and I just mm. watched the Michael Keaton Batman, which I didn't love. 
but the hmm. sequel looks much better. So I'm still on a Batman roll. I'm catching up on these movies that I'm missing. I'm debating on watching Zack Snyder's Justice League if I can find four hours to kill. But Zack Snyder's Justice League, I'll say this much, um, the four-hour Zack Snyder run is, uh, or Snyder Cut as it's known, um, is much better than the um, uh, Joss Whedon Cut. Because the Joss oh, Whedon Cut... I is... guarantee it, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it doesn't surprise me at all. I don't even think people acknowledge that that cut version of the movie even exists anymore. It's just Zack Snyder's cut's a little bit too too cartoonishy. It has these low shots where you're seeing a lot of Gal Gadot's ass for no apparent Ugh. reason. I um, hate Joss Whedon. I feel so vindicated in my hatred of Joss Whedon since yeah. everybody kind of turned against him recently. <laughs> <laughs> no, you, you should. Given given certain information and things brought to light, yeah, no. But right. that's one of the things where I'm. I have a soft spot for Zack Schneider because Zack Schneider has a lot of nonsense in his films. But if you yeah. look at how he puts things together, um, I talked about Army of the Dead and how a lot of that seems to be an homage, or not an homage, but his take on how he feels about um, uh, the future and his children. Because like mm-hmm. in in that movie, I talked about prior, but uh, you know, Zack Schneider lost his uh, daughter to suicide. Um, mm-hmm. And then he has this whole movie about Dave Bautista's dad, Dave Bautista as a dad, just trying to, like, you know, uh, uh, do right by his his daughter. And in that film, the whole thing is, like, you know, money doesn't matter. I just wanted you to be safe. I just wanted to do right by you. That's the whole point in that film. Yeah. Zack Snyder. I mean, hmm. I, I mean, I talk a lot of shit on Zack Snyder, but I think he's talented. I've certainly enjoyed his movies before. I don't, I I mean, I have beef with the Watchmen movie, but I, it's it's... <laughs> decent it's watchable the Watchmen movie as a kid got me to read the comic um so i thank him for that you know it's it's his stylistic interpretation but it got me into understanding why the comic was important who the hell alan moore was and why this wizard is important to the comic book scene um also zack schneider's movie uh sucker punch like he has all these films where he's (laughs) he's he's clearly a feminist and I don't mean yeah. that in a bad way. I mean that like he actually in, takes an account of like what he wants for his uh, yeah, I, his his children. I mean, he sounds like a really nice guy. Sucker Punch is a movie that I loved in high school, but I can't watch it anymore. Really? <laughs> <laughs> no, I can't do it. it. It's it's a great collection of music videos with like an hour of extra bullshit mm. kind of around it. Watch it for. You have a young Oscar Isaac in that playing yeah. the, the pimp slash like you know um, a psych ward. He's got a musical number in the director's cut, I think. So I'm meaning to track that down. Okay, that I need to see because anything with Oscar Isaac at this point, I'm just like, all right, I need to see more of this. This this guy hits. Uh, uh, I saw that he this, this I saw it on an entertainment site that he's being float he's being rumored for the Batman two. He. He could be uh, a good... I could see him as potentially a good Mr. Freeze. I'd want him to play another role. I don't know what, but... He, yeah, I don't know either. I don't feel like he'd be Mr. Freeze. I feel like he'd be somebody else. He's Well, he's just... Uh, ever since I saw the movie Dune, I've realized that Oscar Isaac looks great as a dictator. Like, he just pulls yeah. off having too many medals on, and he just... He's cut. And, but he can also play, like, just a complete depraved lunatic. Like, not crazy, but just, like... Someone who has, like, you know, an Oedipus cl- complex or someone who just, you know, treats people as property and he, like, he, he doesn't, um, what is it? he doesn't, like, say I'm an asshole type of material, but he just has the body language of someone who's, like, you know, uh, a deranged asshole. And it's Yeah, perfect. he's, 
He's versatile as fuck. He's been in, like, so many great movies for well over a decade now. Oh, so. yeah. Like, and, and I'm not trying to say that he, he's just an asshole. I'm just saying he knows how to play an asshole. Like, he's got range yeah. is what I mean by... But, like, he can play a villain. He can play, like, a good character or, a, you know, a, a good guy. But I love him as a bad guy. <laughs> yeah, oh, for sure. Whatever role they put him in, I'll, I'll take it. So. Man Bat. Oscar Isaac is going to be Man Bat. <laughs> cool, perfect. Cut, print, sell it. It's ideal. <laughs> Love Man Dude, if they announced Man Bat tomorrow, I'd be so happy. <laughs> uh, again, like, uh, Man Bat also, in the comics, I, I used to have a, a Batman, uh, like, uh, world and character book when I was a kid, where it's just like, it shows you all the rogues and it gives you a little bit. I like, think I had that exact book. I think I know what book you're talking about. In it, they explain how Man Bat has, like, a kid. He has, like, yeah. a biological son. And he's just, like, this cute, deformed, like, eight-year-old who looks like a bat, right? Mm-hmm. And I was just like, that's adorable. Oh, uh, what is that? Like, what's the plot behind Bat- Man-Bat having a yeah. son? <laughs> well, I know Man-Bat has, like, a Man-Bat wife, too, and it's, like, a weird, fucked-up family dynamic of creatures. It's yeah. a cool story. I haven't read it, but it's cool. I remember but, the uh, most... You've seen the uh, Man-Bat uh, episode for Batman the Animated Series, right? I have seen the Man Bat episode of the Batman animated series, but okay. it's been a really long time since I've seen his appearance in the original animated series. I only bring that up because I remember that um, as a kid, and it was very—it was probably one of the better plots for Man Bat, where it's just like yeah. you know, this dude who's corrupted by the science and the power behind it, um, and his relationship with his his girlfriend slash wife, who also then eventually becomes the uh, a Man Bat and. It kind of just goes through that whole corruption of Frankenstein, Frankenstein's monster, but Frankenstein is the monster. Right, right. That's I, I, I will say my favorite presentation of Batman is, or of Man Bat is in the the Arkham Knight video game. It has a fantastic Man Bat design in it. Yes, it's really, yes. it's really grounded and real and nasty looking. And he's it just like my only plight with that is it's like an Easter egg. You keep on finding him, right? But you can never. Right. They're, like, the interactive quest is just to find and capture the man-bat, and then you eventually cure him. But I feel like it's a missed opportunity, because you could have this... Again, like, you know, it's, it's just, like, the uh, a lot of good horror and storytelling is when you take something that's meant to be metaphorical and you make it overtly literal mm-hmm. to the point where it's, it's like, oh, if you were to see that, like, that's terrifying. And I, I don't know how to take it. Like, I just... I don't know how they would show it, but I feel like... Bat, man bat could just be um given more depth and given more of just like this you know literal nightmare for batman to uh, realize like oh if i just become the batman and i sit in a cave brooding all day i'm no different than this fucked up creature yeah like, he's got to be bruce wayne I, I had a cool idea for a man bat fan comic i wanted to draw where it's like a shadow the hedgehog situation where he's like killing people <laughs> in the streets and people are confusing him for the batman Oh, okay. kind of neat. Nobody's done that yet. That could be fun. I could yeah. see that. Yeah, it's just, I don't know. It's it's something where I'm like, yes, do it, but at the same time, how would be very, very delicate. It would be very yeah. surgical. So, you know, but if they've already made, like, making another Batman movie in this time in uh, the American, uh, I'd say, landscape or history was mm-hmm. kind of a ballsy move, was it not? Because, like, there was this oversaturation of the character. There had been, like, a lot of bad films, and Zack Schneider had his run, but there was still some problems with that. And I, well, this I think film that's, came out. 
Well, that's why it's the right time, though. It's because nobody's... It's been so long since people have been satisfied with a Batman movie, I feel like. Like, Dark Knight Returns was kind of... Or Dark Knight Rises was kind of controversial amongst Batman fans, and then no no one really likes the Snyderverse, except for, like, the hardcore fans. So, yeah, I feel yeah. like... I, I mean... Again, and I'm not, I'm not like a superhero movie guy, but I was excited to see a new Batman movie. You'll always get me in a seat with a cool-looking Batman movie, so. This is true, and I've I've witnessed it both in this podcast and just posting like Batman fan art. The moment you do any Batman stuff, it just it's like people will it skyrockets. Like more people watch, listen to and like like things that are Batman affiliated just yeah. by proxy of it being, you know, with the logo and with the Batman uh, ethos behind it. It's just, it's crazy. Like, the fandom is great, but at the same time, it's just, like, not oversaturated, but, you know, it, it can get very zealotry at times, especially with the I, films. I think I think Batman is a lot of people's favorite superhero just because he's so versatile. There's always something to like about any given Batman story. There's just so many different ways to go about it and do it. And I don't personally like all of them, but that's why I like Batman because there's so much of it and there's a lot of variety amongst it. So This is true. And yeah. variety is key. Um, all, all I would say is like whatever they choose to do for the actual sequels, I just hope they keep that level of style they introduced, right? Where they have those oh, intros. They have to. <laughs> those for haunting... Sure. Uh, uh, transitions if you would you got to keep the nirvana music too (laughs) yeah the the, the soundtrack well the soundtrack is something we haven't even uh talked about yet is it nirvana that does the uh batman theme song and everything for this well the movie's bookended by the by the song something in the way and then the actual batman score is is michael giacchino's um and it's great too i was expecting a really bombastic like kind of very themey movie score, but it was very much in the background. Aside from that main few Batman notes, it's very score. oh yeah, it's it's very simplistic, and it's not even an action based like um um theme like theme music, right? Like most yeah, there's a lot of atmosphere. <laughs> it was very uh, ominous at times, uh, especially mm-hmm. in the beginning, uh, and uh, that's also a one eighty departure from like Christopher Nolan's Batman, where you hear that like you know. That, uh, it's got a lot of melody. There's like a theme to it that, like, and you know, I mean, like, yeah. And this new score kind of has that 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 main Batman motif in the score. But for the most part, yeah, it was like it was a lot of tone and background noise, and it filled the space kind of in a subtle way. Mm-hmm. I like that. It was unexpected. Kind of went with the action scenes really well. Agreed. It yeah. was, it was uh, a very welcome departure. Uh, and made the film feel more concrete. Like this was, you know, this was a lot of people in sync with one another to make this vision. Um, yeah, it's impressive, and I hope they continue something like it. Whether or not they tie it into the rest of the soon-to-be rebooted after the Flashpoint Paradox um, DC film, I don't know. Because um, this Batman I doubt it. feels. This- it, it feels like a kind of like a Joker movie situation where it's just kind of like a, this is happening separately from the other universe stuff we're doing. We just want to make good Batman movies on the side. And I'm totally cool with that. Agreed. Agreed. If they're going to do like a Justice League um, cinematic universe for the DC landscape, after they make the Flashpoint uh, reboot, I really feel like they should just have their own separate Batman for that. Because like... Yeah. When Batman is, you know, fighting apocalypse and saving the world from, like, multi, uh, multi-dimensional threats and stuff like that, 
he gains too much technology, he gains too much, like, power and prowess, and then it's just like, how am I supposed to believe the guy who just helped save the multiverse is also struggling to beat up a clown in the streets? <laughs> like, <laughs> Well, th- I know they're bringing back Michael Keaton Batman for Flashpoint, and as someone who just watched that movie for the first time, I'm like, eh, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't need it. Michael Keaton, like, I don't know. I just hope that his Mike, Michael Keaton's Batman, if he comes back, I hope he can turn his neck. Cause, like, if yeah, really. That, the whole time, he's just like, he, he can't turn his neck at all, so it's just like, how the fuck do you fight people? How the fuck do you drive? <laughs> Credit to the Batman for having the best on-screen Batman suit. I like the collar. I like that he can turn his neck. He can mm-hmm. actually fight in it. It looked great. And... and he only has, at least because it's uh, like the first interpretation of Batman, he only has the first battle ring. He only has the one, and it's his, it's his in his crest. chest. Yeah. yeah, it was cool. I like that a lot. Cool detail. And, even, and that's one of the things I'm, I, it's nitpicky, but that's one of the things I, I don't like about um, Christopher Nolan's Dark Knight is you don't see enough battle rings. You know? No, I feel <laughs> like they kind of dropped the battle ring after the first, after Batman begins. Mm-hmm. Got too silly for Mr. Nolan on his Which, high horse. Yeah, but then they brought it back in the Batman, and even though it's only in there for one moment, and he doesn't actually throw it, right? But it's just the idea that he uses it to help save people. Like, he's going well, to rescue people. See, here's the thing about the battering is why would you throw it? There's nothing about the bat shape, the aerodynamics of a bat shape that would make it come back to you. It's a stupid idea. Yeah, totally. <laughs> it should, that's what okay. it should be. It should just be like a cool knife. <laughs> that's But that's one of the things where, in this film, you'd start to notice that he... He, he starts to rely more on gadgetry towards the end of the film. Um, yeah. Like when he, when he punctures, I think he uses either his um, grappling gun or his battering, I forget which one, but he punctures the um, uh, fire extinguisher to become like, you know, a makeshift smoke bomb. And that's uh-huh. kind of the homage to the idea that like, oh, he's going to develop other weaponry, flashbang, smoke bombs, whatever. Um, well, he's be- crafty and he's resourceful. Yes, and he's starting to realize that it's not just enough to beat up people. You have to be smart with your... You outsmart them, yeah. Totally. Um, so I do like that, that they visually show uh, the, like, the iconic Batman we all know and love to be like built up. You know, where he's like, I'm going to gain more gadgetry. I'm going to show my, my craftiness. Um, I'm still going to punch people in the face, but I'm going to do it in a manner where I don't tire myself out. Uh, like in Christopher Nolan's Batman or in Zack Schneider's Batman, which is more epic than it is grounded in realism right no, I, I like I, I feel like when it comes to live action batman you really get me interested when you take the material gravely seriously for the most part agreed when, when it comes to comics and cartoons you can kind of bend and pull things in whatever emotional direction you want to but when it comes to live action batman i like my grounded my gritty my dark it always looks cool to see on screen so are you telling uh, me you like your night to be dark? With I dark do, night? I do. Yeah, he should live up to the title. So, and I mean, this is a this is a stupid reason to cut a podcast short. But my phone is at four <laughs> percent. You're fine. You're fine. Uh, no, I think we've covered our bases quite nicely. Um, okay, real quick, is there any last statements you want to make just about what Batman is to you or what this movie was to you? I think, I I mean, despite my. Um, specifics for what i like batman to be i think people should calm down for the most part and just just appreciate the sheer artistic variety that comes with a character as old as batman i mean i 
I hate Zack Snyder Batman, but it's fun to talk about Zack Snyder Batman. And yes. that's, that's value enough for it to exist, so. I agree. I agree that this is not my favorite pinnacle film. Like, I don't want to put this film up on a podium, on a pedestal. It is a good Batman movie, and I'm okay with that. I just want something fun. I just want something that is noir-esque, and it delivered yeah. on that. Um, and I'm curious to see where they take the franchise, but at the same time, they can also calm down and take it slowly. Like, I don't need another film right away, and just yeah. this one was fun. Like That's how I felt. I mean, this is my favorite Batman movie, and, and if, if they just completely, if it flopped somehow and they just didn't make another one, I'd be okay with that. It's, it's a really good standalone story that covered a lot of what I like about the character, so... Agreed. It, it doesn't need to be a franchise. They can franchise it if it does well, but it's just happy that they made it the way that they did. Um, Absolutely. It's not too overzealous. It's not too dark and depressing. Uh, almost upbeat at a point, dare I say. Yeah. Yeah. All right. It was, uh, uh, it was properly, <laughs> artistically engaging, so. <laughs> Beautiful. Well, Joe, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for thank shooting the shit with me, man. so much for having me back on. It was good to be back on the decaf recap. Not a problem. I will be harassing you to be back on uh, many times now. <laughs> for sure. No, I have no problem at all. I'd do all it right. again in a heartbeat, so. Take care, people. Uh, peace out, and uh, watch for the skies. <laughs> yeah, bet. Peace out.